Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name's Luke. Good day, Luke. <laughs> it's it's uh, St. Patrick's Day here in Minnesota. I'm Dan. Oh, I'm I'm Daniel. Blimey, yeah, okay. I'm Daniel. Okay, that's let's do yeah do that the whole episode, Dan. That was I last episode you came in with a really deep, intense voice, so I was kind of expecting you to try to go deeper. No, but no, no. I like this one more. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was trying to be generous. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so this episode we've got our final episode of Aching God by Mike Shell. We finished the book. Going to be talking about the last section, and we also realized that the last like ten percent of this book is the appendix. Um, the last ten percent of this book is the appendix, so short sectioned for this one, which is nice. <laughs> well, that's that's if you didn't read the appendix, Luke. Right, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, before we get into the ep- or before we get into the book, I've got a warm up for us. Okay, this is I don't really have a name for this segment. It's kind of similar to your your idea for a book. Segment. Okay, okay, sure. But this is more of just just an idea that we're we're just throwing back and forth ideas here, Dan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, this is an idea for book adaptations because we always see book adaptations to movies or TV show, and I I feel like we're forgetting about video games. Ooh. Okay. okay. Don't get me wrong. There are. Those exist. Right. I'm not saying we've never done those. But I feel like those are somebody throws $10 at somebody and is like, adapt, adapt this book into a video game. And it's terrible. I want, I want a high budget book to video game adaptation. I think that could be wildly successful. Luke, I don't mean to, to kind of rain on your parade here, but that exists. And The Witcher is a is a wildly popular video game series. Some would say more popular than the books. Okay, yeah. This is this is the this is the example. This is the only one. You're oh no. And no, I no. feel like this yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, you're right. This is the example that shows this can work. And I want this to work more. Okay. So And and okay. So we we know there's there's a new Lord of the Rings TV show coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's tons of TV shows. There's, I think, a King Killer TV show that's set up. Yep. There's Game of Thrones, obviously, and then there's supposed to be spinoffs, I believe. And a lot of what's happening with those are they're not focusing on the books themselves. So, like Lord of the Rings is set in a different time period than the books, the 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 main books or the main movies that we mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. Same with the future Game of Thrones TV shows. Right. I believe. I could see there being a really good video game that does essentially the same thing. It's like a single player. Let's, let's say Game of Thrones. Okay. okay. This way, you're, instead of just watching these things, you're actually, you know, I mean, I get super into video games, especially story mode. Right. And you're like meeting all the characters and that kind of thing. I think it'd be cool. 
Okay. And there's also a ton of a ton of books that work for like multiplayer. So example, everyone wants the, okay, here's the issue is this you haven't read these books, but everyone wants a Brandon Sanderson TV show, movie, whatever. Uh-huh. His books would be perfect for multiplayer video games. The, I, you you can't really offer a rebuttal for this because you haven't read them yet, but just just for our listeners, think about think about a Stormlight Archive multiplayer video game where it's like a since battle royales are super popular right now that would be perfect for that yeah get get a bunch of high schoolers playing uh (laughs) playing around in brandon sanderson's universe yeah that's that's what makes all the money right now dan that's yeah that's a good point i love this idea i wow i I thought you were you looked very negative no i think i think this is a great idea because I think for too long have movies and and TV shows dominated the adaptations for fantasy stories and sci-fi stories. I think maybe more so sci-fi stories could be ported extremely successfully into video game series. Because part of sci-fi is kind of like... I don't know, at least the books that we've read, it really creates this world where there seems to be a lot of other things happening. And sure, there's a main story, but there's a lot of subplots going on or things that would be interesting to just go kind of explore more. Um, And there's already, I guess with Skyrim, it's like there's a good fantasy world built in. I think I just really prefer sci-fi video games. So I'd love to see a i don't know a fire upon the deep video game where you get to you know maybe you'd be a plant person for a little while <laughs> or or a hyperion or a video dog game. pack or you can, or you could be a dog pack <laughs> or you could be a person that just has a friendly dog pack as a companion i just think that would be great yeah, okay if you were to thinking of the books that we have read so far what book would you most like to see adapted into a video game? Because I don't think any of the books except Game of Thrones have been adapted into any other kind of media that we've read. Um, I think this might be too obvious almost, but I think The Name of the Wind would be a pretty good video game because... There's a lot of, I guess, training and almost leveling up kind of thing that you would think of as in a video game. And I think the world is deep enough there that you could do a lot of stuff and you don't have to be... There, there's currently not some epic uh, conflict that we've seen in that yet so far. And so you don't have to be follow, following that particular storyline in the video game, essentially. Mm-hmm. See, I that that's actually at the bottom of my list. Okay. And it's at the bottom of my list for the reason that you love it. Because I, I feel like The Name of the Wind was too much just grinding, too much leveling. I would much rather play a video game where you get powerful really quickly if you're going to get powerful at all this doesn't actually 
play into the game that I think would be really cool. But I really, and I mean, this isn't going to be surprising because I freaking love this book. I think The Lies of Locke Lamora, that <laughs> universe. This would be on the bottom of my list. Oh my gosh, that would make the coolest freaking game. Okay, give me a quest from The Lies of Locke Lamora. Okay, you're a part of one of the gangs who is stealing from people, a part of the secret truce, and you have to go, I don't know, pull off a super sweet caper or heist or something. And you have to, like, you have to break into this manor. It, I mean, okay, Dishonored, the game that came, uh, Dishonored as a game, kind of like the mechanic seems similar to me of how it would play. Or the there was a game called Thief that came out a while ago that seems similar to, I guess, what this would be. I was almost thinking Assassin's Creed. A little bit Assassin's Creed too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But but I just would love to run around Camor and, you know, go along those those cat bridges that they have going across the canals, looking at the elder glass everywhere. <laughs> this is actually a decent point cuz you could be you could take on so many roles because that's essentially what they do. Right. And I I think that's a good fit for a video game. Okay. That's not bad. And I feel like it could suit itself to being open world as well. Like you could choose whether or not you want to be a thief or a merchant or a noble because they all have these very interesting kind of intricate worlds that happens. They all like, and they intersect in really interesting ways. Oh, (laughs) I just love that fricking book, Luke. (laughs) Yeah, you do. You want everything to be related to that book, essentially. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad you're on board with this idea. So I don't know. We'll take it. We'll take it to the next steps, to the higher ups, and see what, what they have to say. I know some. I know some Python, Luke. I can start working on it. <laughs> That's all we need, I think. Uh, if you if y'all have an idea for a book that would make an awesome video game that hasn't been made yet, go ahead and tweet at us. Yeah. Use the use the hashtag. Um, what are we thinking, Luke? Hashtag adapt my video game already. It's a long one. Yeah. Hashtag adapt. <laughs> it's why is that so hard for us to say? I don't know. But that's a good hashtag. Hashtag adapt my video game already at DC at a BC. Let's get this trending. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can. Okay. Without further ado, let's talk about the final section of Aching God. Luke, they did it. <laughs> They got to the temple. They did something to the aching god. Arik got home. Day was saved. Yeah. I love a feel-good story like that, you know? A happy ending. Sort of. nice. Sort of? I mean, the only people that died were Naeus and... Oh, Belloc died. Ugh. (laughs) I should say, though, listening back to our last episode, we we didn't care if either of them died. (laughs) Right. Which I should say now, I felt kind of bad that Bellic died. I did too. Okay, I really liked Bellic in the book. He mm-hmm. was, I, I don't know, I thought he was funny and a good character, but I didn't, I, and I'm kind of surprised by this, but I didn't feel that. Because I when Dell died, I was pretty upset about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think that was definitely the most shocking death, for sure. And the most upsetting, yeah. I didn't... I, this might come down to the fact that we knew that this was the most dangerous part, so we we're probably expecting people to die right then. 
That's definitely true. Yeah, I didn't quite feel it as much. Yeah, Neus dying, I was like, finally. (laughs) Okay, let me me take us to this note that I wrote down. This is going to take us back a little earlier, too. And, and also really insignificant. I love, I love the little, the recurring scene where Neus whispers some comment into Arik's ear. <laughs> it happens so many times and it's always such an inappropriate thing and Arik gets pissed at him. And I, I can just picture this happening because like, Arik doesn't like Neus. Right. Neus for sure knows this. Yeah. Yeah. He knows that Arik hates him. But just every time he just has to come up behind him and be like, say some little comment in his ear. <laughs> like when they're having that, the voting session and Neus keeps whispering in Arik's ear and Arik has clearly told everyone, we're going to be silent. Trust me, we're not going to interfere <laughs> at all. And Neus is like, fuck no, we're not going to be silent. This is bullshit. <laughs> and Arik's like, young man. <laughs> hush i think i for, i forget exactly what it is but he also whispers into his ear when they're actually exploring the ruin or the the temple i forget exactly what it is but and then Arik again is like god damn it Neus. <laughs> and i love it these scenes really made me i don't know if this is the intended effect i started to feel much better about Neus whenever he would whisper something into Arik's ear and much worse about Arik. Oh, yeah, I would swing back and forth on Neus kind of a lot. Because Neus seemed like he was... Obviously, he's kind of a douche. But he was trying to include Arik in on the kind of joke he was having. He was trying to... He was, you know, he was bringing people in. He wasn't leaving people out. And so he was... Right, he's not not an excluder. No. And so he's saying to Arik, like, right, bud? This is ridiculous, huh? And Arik's like, no, we must maintain our mission we have to maintain decorum yeah and i think naeus might be a little misunderstood yeah i feel like arik's just just, arik has too big of a stick up his ass Mm -hmm. with naeus that's definitely true i mean yeah i mean we shouldn't be coming down that much on the side of (laughs) naeus he's not great right he often just yells at people for no reason yeah, and yeah, he doesn't have the best judgment, but he wants <laughs> he wants ever to be included. He wants, you know, at least he's not exclusionary. He wants everybody to be in. Yeah, maybe he's looking up to Arik as like a father figure. Oh wow, man! Right, I we see that we've had this kind of we've had this subplot throughout the book where Neus, his dad is the duke, and he's a bastard. So his dad. So he probably hasn't interacted with him. Very he much. has a. He probably has a pretty strained relationship with his dad, and, and and we see he has a terrible relationship with his mom. Mm-hmm. So maybe, Neus is doing these things because he sees Arik as that stand-in for his family support, and, and he just doesn't know how to bond with him. Oh, heartbreaking! And the Neus. whole time, Arik is just constantly slapping back on him. And this probably reinforces Neus's understanding of Arik as a paternal figure because Arik is providing a structure and a framework for Neus to know how to grow up in this world. This is so right. Wow. This is the deepest we've ever gotten. I'm back with <laughs> Neus on this one. 
For oh, for sure, because Neus, Neus, the, these these times when we've been frustrated with Neus for being super rude to people, and we just you know he 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 hasn't had a father figure to teach him how to act around these kind of situations, and he finally got one, only to die. Now I'm very sad about Neus's death. Man, oh, I, it's so unfortunate that his character arc was cut short right there. I wish Arc would have realized Neus was the son he had lost. You know? Oh, man. Think about the possibilities. Oh, they would have bonded so well. This is so sad. You know what, Dan? As Kanye West once said, people never get the flowers when they can still smell them. <laughs> what? I don't know. Let's cut that. <laughs> That's stupid. We're leaving it in, though. Because now you will forever be branded as a fan of Kanye West. Oh, I am a fan of Kanye West. Freaking idiot. <laughs> All right. Speaking of speaking of Arik's son and his wife, we talked a little bit about this last episode. But something that's been nagging at me for a little while and was brought much more to the forefront in this chapter is that in this world, people have souls. In this world, there are ghosts. And those ghosts, they're just known. Everybody acknowledges that those exist. How freaking pissed are Arik's wife and son's ghost with Arik? Just assuming assuming they're essentially watching him they can't be happy with it he never talks about them ever he's always right. talking about lenda obviously they aren't pissed enough to do the thing that the warrior priest did where he obliterated himself to stop them from going into the aching god's temple but i imagine they're doing they're fucking with him in little subtle ways right oh probably Oh yeah. Like <laughs> like when he's in the bar trying to defend Neus and Belic, either his son or his wife are totally like, you know, causing him to slip a little bit and take a knife to the chest. Not enough to kill him, but just enough to be like, eh, you're not the shit. <laughs> yeah, this is a good point. Because okay, we had been we had messed up with our theory in that case. About those being like, trained assassins. I mean, it could be either one, honestly. Right, right. But our backup theory is that his wife or son's ghost is messing with him a little bit. Yeah. and I like it. And when he was in front of the queen and she knighted him, you know his wife was up there next to the queen being like, hey, he's pretty short, isn't he? <laughs> or just doing some... I, I, I'm guessing that ghosts maybe have some kind of illusionary power so maybe they could make him seem a little shorter so she was like holy shit that guy's short give that guy a knighthood <laughs> yeah i could see it he is i mean i think we've talked about this before but he just he talks so much about linda a decent amount about his daughter nothing about his wife and son yeah we talked about this last episode dude come on their spirits are out there watching you. It's just disrespectful, Arik. God, we come down so hard on Arik. I'm going to talk about Lumari for a second. Okay. Or just alchemy in general. Okay. And these expeditions. 
It seems really useful, but it sounds really lame. Almost always. Okay, tell me more. All, all the things she's done that we've heard about have been great. She's she you know helped real, a lot with the pirate attack. Was very critical to the Manticore attack. Helped them navigate this temple. Uh, helped them get the gem out of the out of the egg or whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. So very useful. Don't get me wrong, but they sound so lame. We've talked about it a little bit. The first one, she just throws acid. Right. The second one, she throws, like, dough and gets the manticore to get stuck in the dough. Yeah, it's like glue. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, this one's my favorite. When they're navigating this this temple, and there's the giant chasm, and then a little wet ledge, and she throws, uh, I forget what exactly it says, but it's basically some material that are, that'll give them better traction because that'll absorb some water or something like that. So she, so she's just walking around with cat litter. This is exactly right. <laughs> yep. L- Lumari, that's not, don't, don't act like you did something really cool for that. We, this is, this is cat litter or sand, but it's, it's probably cat litter, which makes it yeah. more cool than sand slightly. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's a little more suited to the situation. So she's very well prepared. Right. My biggest problem with the alchemist, don't get me wrong, alchemists I think are very cool, but she hasn't really shown how she was necessary to be there. What I mean by that is, back in the Citadel, I'm an alchemist. I make something super useful, put it in a vial, write a little label on it, hand it to Arik and say, hey, if you get into trouble where you need to melt something, here's a vial of acid. Throw this on it. Problem solved. Hand him another vial. Here, I got some glue for you. You got something you want to, like, get all stuck together? Throw this at it. Here's another one. This one's called Kitty Litter. (laughs) You need to, I don't know, absorb some water or something? Take this one. Now, I do understand that there would be a lot of vials you'd be handing out for all the different scenarios. That's fair. I'll accept that that's a lot. But they're trained in this other, this whole other language to learn it. You could probably train them on very simple, basic alchemy stuff. Very simple, like, this vial has this substance in it, which does this kind of a thing. And so at no point in... Until... Lumari melted the egg it seemed like everything that she did you could just hand out a vial to somebody like a general purpose kind of vial that would solve the problem I didn't ever see Lumari taking several components together and making a new thing to solve you know what I mean there was never a new thing to solve a problem it was all just here's a vial that I have crafted kapow (laughs) She did test a lot of things, but those tests never really mattered, I don't think. Oh, this is a good point, though. And and it's probably biasing me right now, because if those tests had mattered, then it would have been an issue. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> okay. This was, I guess this was just not, this was not an ex- expedition where Lumari, okay, Lumari did the best with what she had, essentially. 
Oh, where she was, yeah. she wasn't. I don't think she was player of the game, but that's not really her fault. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get that. She's no LeBron, you know. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. Okay. So this section has a lot of seriously fucked up theological implications for this world and i just want to bring those to the forefront and make them abundantly clear for a second okay i didn't think that deeply about them so i'm excited this world is fucked (laughs) the aching god when they're talking to Arik, and they have that that one-on-one in the crazy duke's chamber the aching god explains a little bit about the kind of cosmology of this universe and how the gods fit and the aching god tells Arik that the other temple he came from also had a god in it that consumed his companions bodies and souls we're also aware of the fact that the gods that they actually that are kind of like raised up in the pantheon of this universe come from Jiao temples. The first dude that brought back Belu that was led to a temple by Belu, that was a Jiao temple that that god came from. And this, the Aiken god, claims that they are a part of this larger pantheon of gods. So all of the gods in this universe come from these crazy temple systems that were run by people that did human sacrifices and stuff. And the only difference between the aching God and the blue mother is that the blue mother has a temple in the capital and the aching God doesn't. And I think the aching God essentially says that he just doesn't like subtlety. Right. So he's clearly bad because he just doesn't care about hiding that. Which in my mind implies that the other gods also have these terrible motives. They're just, they like being subtle to get their way. Yes. I think the other gods are just more effective at getting followers. I think that there is no difference between, the only difference between the aching god and the blue mother is the Blue Mother was better at convincing people to keep bringing her sacrifices. Here, I have evidence that the other gods are really fucked up, too. So okay. When you say sacrifices... Hold on. We'll get there. I've got I've to lead you there, Luke. Okay. So there are other gods in this pantheon that are accepted and totally cool. There are temples to these gods. One of the gods that we learn about is Tolwi... It's T-O-L-W-E, and this is the god of, like, truth-telling. They have one of these priests of this god in the room when Arik is undergoing his kind of debriefing. And in the appendix, there is a rite of this god that's discussed. And it's a way of getting the truth from someone. But in the description, it says, To those uninitiated, it seems like torture so it's just torture then yeah 
That's just toward, yeah. Right. But, but they frame it in such a way that it's a religious ritual and it's not, it's not torture. It's a ritual to this God. Let's also think about gods like Timulus, which we're actually going to come back to Timulus, but on its face, Timulus seems pretty bad. Timulus just sent this guy to go murder this party in the Syriac League. And that's, we just are cool with that. Right, because we, we don't we don't know why. So it just seems like a whim. Yeah. Uh, or unless unless Timulus is in league with the Aching God. Well, we'll get to Timulus later. Okay, okay. Fun- sorry, I'm sorry for jumping the gun. We've also got the the god that makes the like sin eaters, which okay, come on. The, the dirty boys. The dirty boys. The dirty dirty boys. There's something wrong with that. That's not a that's not necessarily a good thing. We don't know a lot about how that works. True. And this the name Sin Eater is ominous, to say the least. And here's my... Okay. I think Arik and the Syriac League are a little bit judgy about this aching god. Because they walk in <laughs> and they're hyper-repulsed by this gross statue. Yeah. Dude, the Sin Eater lives in a cave and never bathes, and you're also hyper-repulsed by them. But they're cool. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Okay, okay. Now, let's get to the the big gods. And the first one that I want to talk about, well, let's get to the Blue Mother. Uh-huh. We are aware that the Blue Mother gives people power. We don't know what all the rituals are that people have to do to get this power. True. The Aiken God said he would give Arik un- basically unlimited power if Arik brought more people to sacrifice to the Aiken God. We have no idea what goes on in the great temple of the Blue Mother. Behind those curtains of ritual and in the inner sanctum where only the high priests dwell, what kinds of messed up rituals are going on in there that give the denizens of the Blue Mother this kind of healing power? What do they have to give up? Arik mentions it many times in this book. What are you giving up to get this power? Okay. This is what I think the Aiken God is getting at about the subtlety. You know what you? Okay, because to to go the obvious route of like human sacrifice or something like that, I mean, what more obvious of a place than this temple of healing where you would bring someone that you're hoping doesn't die, and then if they're like, yeah, sorry, he just needed too much healing and we couldn't do it, so he died. You're probably gonna accept that, but. Maybe they sacrificed him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... the, I'm, Do you have more? Because I am now thinking about the war god, too. Yeah. Tell me about the war... See, now now you're on it. Now tell me okay. about tell me about the war god, Luke. Uh, Vanek, I think? Mm-hmm. Essentially, he, you, his priests pray to him. I think it's a him. Yeah, let's just use that pronoun. It doesn't really matter. And he gives them essentially supernatural fighting abilities so that he can 
or so that that person can kill more people. can kill people and and everybody's totally cool with it everybody's like oh yeah this is just the god of war they give people the ability to do good war to just murder people in the name of this god okay also who's the other who's the biggest god who is the head a mercator i think is his name uh-huh the god of justice how many people are murdered in the city every day in the name of justice probably a lot a whole lot luke oh man are we are we tea making god i'm glad you asked luke i think arik might have been a little bit hasty okay the Aiken god gives this offer to Arik that he will give him basically whatever he wants if Arik kind of becomes a disciple of the Aiken god. Arik doesn't even consider it for a minute. Okay, Arik, you give it a minute. Anything? Hmm, I had a wife and son at one point. <laughs> I'd love for them to be not dead. That's just on a personal level. Here, let's go like a altruistic route. I'd love for the queen to not be crazy. Ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, Arik, you don't even consider all the good you could do for a second. Plus, yeah, plus ask ask questions. Because he's the Aking God's essentially asking him to bring people to the Aking God, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think it's implied that the Aiken God is essentially going to consume them, I guess. Maybe. But we don't know that. Or I could bargain. Say, I'll bring people and they'll, I don't know, do stuff around the house for you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll sweep up your little gross corners that are kind of gushy now. It's really smelly in here. They'll give you a makeover. You know? They're just... Arik judges this god solely based on looks, and I think it's a... Oh, that's so rude. It's a little bit ignorant, frankly. He, Yeah. Imagine if you judged everyone by how they looked and how they smelled. Well, I mean... <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a smelly boy, Dan. It's okay. <laughs> throw, a little, throw a little deodorant in there. Get a little uh, speed stick. Be yeah. right as rain. This, this whole temple has essentially turned into the aching god's body, right? Yeah. Just clean it up a little bit. Throw some deodorant under his armpits, and he's he's probably a lot more comfortable after that. He probably is you know? so appreciative of it that he stops eating people. Right. I mean, I know how good I feel after a shower after a long day. He's <laughs> gonna. Show some basic human kindness, damn it, Arik. Right. You're building all these temples to these other guys. Meanwhile, aching gods over here sweating in the ground. He's got he's got a an oozing wound in his frickin' forehead. And you don't care at all? Ridiculous. I'm sick of it, Luke. This is this is a good point. Yeah. Just clean up his clean up his little area. You get unlimited powers. Not so bad, huh? It's pretty good, I think. It's also, a trade-off. What? So the the other gods are gods of something. 
right? There's the God of healing. There's the God of justice. There's the God of chaos. Timulus is like a prankster God. What do we think the aching God is the God of? The only thing that I could think of is black ooze. They're just the God of gross black ooze. Not a great choice. Mm. Not going to get a lot of followers that way. So the only thing is we've we've figured out that this place that he's inhabiting isn't necessarily him. Right. Right. It's like his prison that he is consuming. Right. So I don't think we can necessarily apply that to him. Mm-hmm. So I think we might need to go to his representation of himself in Arik's little mind thing. Okay. Yeah. And he seems to be, he seems to be, he's at this dinner table, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he's dressed really well, seems to have great manners. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, and he's talks about how hungry he is he could be the god of feasts this is it (laughs) this is the god of partying oh yes there's not a god of partying yet there's a god of the harvest and of fertility that's the one that they went to with the wine on the wine island Mm -hmm. there's not a god of partying yet right this guy just wants to party my dude when they pulled that jewel off his head, they let him out. They let him loose. <laughs> this is it, yeah. And that's why... Or, uh, okay, we could also be less generous to him and go the god of gluttony, let's say. Okay. But, like... And that's not bad. That's not too bad. Isn't you gluttony know? just a party that's gone a little bit too wild? Yeah. So I mean I mean we could say that the 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 god of craftsmanship is the god of pride, right? We could say that they are people who are too stuck up with their work. We could say that the god of war is the god of murder. Okay. And all good of these point. gods could have the thing that they're known for twisted in such a way to make them look evil. Right. Right? And it seems like the people of this world have essentially done the reverse of twisting these people's or these gods bad habits into into something that sounds really good right so i don't see why we can't do that with the aching god let us have a freaking party yeah toss toss the aching god some some cheeseburgers get him some balloons and let's let this thing freaking pop off how how thankful would he be everybody's just looking for a purpose luke this is such a good point. Dan. This guy just wants to rage face. And who are we to stop him? And then an Arik just Okay. He does really try to murder them. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And and can we just say of all the ways we've heard of people being murdered in this book, the ways that the Aiken god murders Naeus and Bellic very bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound nice. It's, it's your flesh fusing to itself. That's that, that just is... sounds. And then, and then I think Naeus essentially strangles himself. <laughs> yeah, Naeus is like, "Fuck this, I'm out." <laughs> um, which seems extreme considering Sira 
heals Belloc of the same thing moments later. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly the same. Right, fair enough. I, but I think Naeus's might have been much worse. And it sounds, yeah, it sounds just, I mean, I would, I think he just had a panic attack. He's had a few of those, yeah. Because I can, that seems like something that would be panic attack inducing. And then, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not a great way to go. No. So, let's not come down super positive on the Aiken God. I think it's more of a, we're not, we're not trying to come out positive on the Aiken God. We're just trying to balance the scales a little. Yeah, I think that's fair. And just point out that maybe we are a little too hasty in judging the the Aiken God. We're so quick to accept the Blue Mother and so quick to reject a disgusting toad creature with black ooze coming out of its forehead. Okay, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we treat Bellu really well, you know. We bring her out of her cave and build her this big temple and do all these nice things. And then we just are super rude to the aching God. So it's like, what else are we going to expect? You know, that's true. You put negativity into the world, Luke, you get negativity out. Right. Hmm. I'd like to stay on the topic of the gods for a second. Okay. Did you, did you want to take us somewhere else? Or okay. Stick- I have something that's very, that's just, we've already essentially said the same thing, but it was a note that I wrote down that was separate from this Okay. where, Auric, when he's talking to the aching god, says he calls him a repulsive beast waiting to be fed. Two things on this. Very rude. Just chill, Auric. That's super mean to say. And secondly, you're talking to a god right now that could murder you. Right. Maybe just have a little tact. Well, I mean, if it's tact we're expecting from Auric, I don't think... We are looking in the right place. We are barking up the wrong tree, Luke. Because <laughs> he cut a guy's just... he cut a guy's ear off within five seconds of meeting him. So <laughs> fair. I just I was struck a little bit by how how reckless of a comment that was. I guess. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Arik Arik is playing fast and loose with this sword. He has no idea what it does, which. We're going to come back to one more time the sword, but not yet. We need to talk about the gods a little bit more. Luke, I have a theory. Okay. And my theory, we're going to be flipping 180 degrees on Timulus. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Timulus is the protagonist in this story. We should be rooting for Timulus because Timulus is the only god that gives a shit about people. All right, we're going to start at the very beginning with Timulus's influence on, on this story. When Arik and Belloc are first coming into the city, the capital, they just happen to stumble upon Sira who just happened to have been almost gored to death by a creature. Now, my first reaction to this when thinking about this from the framework of Timulus was, oh, Timulus tricked Sira into interacting with this beast. But that's not what happened. 
Sira's character as a person, Sira would have inter- tried to interact with this beast. This wasn't a god influencing her to do this. This was her own kind of persona to try and interact with this creature that was somewhat dangerous. But Timulus happened to put Arik and Bellic on the road just walking past. There was no larger reason why they happened to be there at that time. I mean, one explanation is maybe Bellu put them there. Maybe Bellu was looking after one of her own. But then why would Bellu have restricted Sira from healing herself, from potentially dying on the side of the road? But Timulus likes to shake things up a little bit. And it seems like a pretty shaky thing to just throw three random people together. Now, granted, this is not a super solid piece of evidence. And I was kind of led to this after the next point that I want to make about Timulus. The Queen's the Queen's insanity is definitely the cause of Timulus, right? Yeah, oh yeah. The Queen the Queen is how she is because of Timulus. And we heard at the Queen's Court of some very interesting political things happening. The politics that happened, it seems like there's revolution in the air of this Uh kingdom. And that revolution is for democracy. Okay. The reason that the first person who got his hands cut off was coming to the Queen was because the people had revolted like a similar county. They had revolted and created a republic. And the queen said, they have their freedom. They have their republic. I will acknowledge them as a state. No more will they be under the reign of a duke. They will be a republic. And then cuts off the hands of the oppressor. Timulus is standing up for democracy in this place. Okay. And that's, there is no question that Timulus, like under Timulus's guise, the queen is doing these things. Like this is definitely Timulus in action. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's pretty solid. Okay. Now, here's where, here's where I think Timulus is acting much more subtly. So the other character that we see who is crazy like the queen is the duke mm-hmm. i don't think it's too far of a stretch to say timulus probably has a hand in this duke's insanity if timulus just yeah go ahead just because it's so similar to the queen yeah yeah they seem very similar like the symptoms here are uncanny and so while timulus might not be exposed like known to have come in and done this. I think Timless was acting to make this happen. And then I was thinking, why would Timless make this Duke crazy? And I think Timless is trying to help defeat the aching God. Because, are you assuming Timless essentially is behind our getting this sword? Exactly. The only way they were going to defeat the aching God is with that sword. If they didn't okay, have that is... sword, no way. Right. I will. I was, and I, this might be mentioned in the book, but him getting the sword is too much of a coincidence. Exactly. 
And where does he get the sword from this duke who's crazy, just like the queen who's crazy in a very similar way? I feel the hand of Timulus in this. Okay. Now, okay. a piece that you might think would contradict this is Timulus sending an acolyte to kill Del. Now, initially this struck me as this struck me as a problem because it seemed like Timulus was trying to throw this whole expedition off the rails. I don't think that's what was happening. I think Timulus was accounting for all externalities. And this is what I mean. The previous expedition, three people died. All three people were women. And this is mentioned as they're going into the temple. The second expedition that they take into the temple, there would have been three women entering the temple, but one of them was killed. So only two women entered the temple. I think that there is something extremely key about the number of women that are sacrificed to the Aiken God in order to complete these rituals. And I think Timulus is preventing Del from entering the temple in order to prevent this ritual from being completed if Arik was not strong enough to complete the murder of the Aiken God. Okay. I think... I think we could go simpler okay, and be vaguer on this because I'm not convinced by that portion because the other thing is he sends him to kill Naeus too. But he doesn't. He, he doesn't succeed. Exactly. Just because someone right. is sent to do something doesn't mean they were meant to do something. Okay. I mean, okay. I... Okay, so simpler. Tell me simpler. What's simpler? Just that... Well, I don't know about simpler, but vaguer. Just that something that Dell would have done would have been an issue. Oh, here it is. Dell would have sided with the aching god. Oh. Maybe Dell would have taken the deal. And because Dell Dell is pretty powerful compared to the rest of them. Right, because she's a sorcerer. She's a sorcerer. So she's got this advantage they don't have. If Del had sided with the aching god, there would have been no chance for any of them. Yeah. Or, ooh, okay. Del's the only one that can read Middle Jow. Yes. There's got to be things in there written in Middle Jow that Del would have been able to read and interpret more fully the aching god's uh, general being or something like that causing her to side with the aching god this is for sure it there's no uh-huh. question del can del can read middle jow and so del would have been more easily corrupted by the inscriptions in the aching god's tomb in the aching god's cage and thus del had to be taken out so they wouldn't have been corrupted this is dude timulus is the good guy i'm saying it <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe. the Because I am somewhat convinced that Timulus is behind him getting the sword. Oh, I mean... Because yeah. someone has to be. Right. In this. Someone has to be. And I think Timulus is the most likely. The other stuff is 
we're kind of, I think, warping things to fit, you know, this is confirmation bias, I think. But you know what? That's fine. I mean, that's how these theories kind of work. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I actually, I, I like this. And I will say, I didn't bring this up, but, or I didn't bring this up in the last episode, but when they have that little interaction with the two Timless priests, when they're leaving Sarah Kirk or wherever, mm-hmm. they're, the, the Timless priests are obviously like complete dicks to them. Right. One of them like pees on the ground next to them yeah, or something. That's exactly And the other happens. one is just a kind of a jerk. But I was thinking when I was reading that, I was just like, that's kind of, they kind of, they kind of pwned them in that conversation. <laughs> and I, I kind of thought that Timless was cool in that circumstance. <laughs> right. So I'm okay with Timless being the good guy. I'm for it. And, oh, okay. This, Timless is doing double duty in terms of helping democracy. Tell us how. The, the thing that I'm thinking of is just ruin, like completely destroying everyone's confidence in monarchies. In monarchies and the dukeship, by making them crazy, we realize that our system doesn't work. Our system doesn't work because if it's all resting on one person and that person has a problem, then we're fucked. Right. And he does it in sort of a mocking way with the queen because everyone is essentially, when she's dying, everyone is essentially, we need to save her because how are we going to go on without her? And Timless is there like, you guys are freaking stupid. Like, we don't need one person. I'll show you. He's like, look, now you've got one person forever. Yeah, not so great, is it? Everybody wants her dead. Oh, gosh. Is Timulus a founding father? Oh, oh, oh Timulus. <laughs> Timulus, George Washington, I see no difference. It's perfect. I love this. <laughs> I I love Timulus now. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Twist in the episode where we've come down... Pro Timulus and pro Waking God. <laughs> Who would have thought? Okay. The last thing that I have written down that I want to talk about is it can be quick, but we were so wrong. <laughs> I just want to appreciate that about Auric and the sword, because in our last episode, we were essentially saying that <laughs> he should not be taking this sword in <laughs> because it's been acting weird. And he also ended up theorizing that Arik was the one that was going to murder everyone. <laughs> and it turns out that Arik saves the world by using this sword. <laughs> so I just thought that that was funny that it went in the complete... And that's just proof that if you're listening to our theories and think that they, they're starting to sound good to you, yeah, well, you know, I maybe don't. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up the sword, Luke, because this proves that Arik has learned absolutely nothing from this whole aching god thing. Because how did the aching god saga start? They brought a gemstone back from this temple. They didn't really know what its deal was. It cut somebody open and they spawned this plague that they had to go then deal with. Right. The sword. Arik gets the sword. They don't really know what it does. It cut a guy wide open. 
and killed a god. And Arik says, yeah, I think I'm going to keep this one with me. Yeah, okay, here's the thing. The sword was the perfect choice for this expedition. Because it could kill this god. Why? How? Why was it able to kill this god? And what does that mean for its future? Right. This sword... What if this sword is not killing gods, but absorbing their power? What if we have unleashed out of this bottle a genie worse than the one we were trying to cram back in the other one? My theory is, I haven't read the summary for the next book. Yeah, I haven't I think it's out already, but I haven't read it yet. And maybe the next book is this sword gets Auric to go kill the other gods the gods become sacrifices for this sword you know how the Aiken god wants people as sacrifices this sword wants gods as sacrifices this is yeah one step up i don't that's a bad sword yeah and the syriac league is the one guy is (laughs) complaining and says we you know that you should leave that sword here one guy's and being the, perfectly rational. Like, that is Lichter, a dangerous artifact. Right. Lictor Ray is like, nah, I think, I mean, Ark was pretty cool about this. He should be able to keep it. I think it's fine. <laughs> Let him have his sword. Come on. <laughs> this sword that just killed a god. Let him keep it. Let him keep it in his, in his cabin in the woods. It also caused him to murder someone. We should talk about that for a second. He did murder <laughs> someone. With the sword. Because it wasn't... It was certainly not self-defense. That was very clear. Okay, yeah. It's... They essentially let it go because whoever was judging would have judged this case says, I would have given him the death penalty anyway. That's not... That's not how this works. Not how any of this works. You can't just go around killing people that you think is going to die anyway. Yeah, that's... That's not justice. Although... Maybe Mercator had him do it. Maybe Mercator's the sword. Wow. This is just circles within circles. Within circles. Okay, Luke, we should talk about, since we're, we finished the Aiken God, we should talk a little bit about what we thought. Mm-hmm. For sure. You, I, I feel like I go first a lot of the time, and then I say a lot of the things that you wanted to say. So I'll let you go first this time. Okay, and yeah, then I'll, I'll, ta- con- I'll take your things. I'll confirm the things that you said were good. <laughs> Okay, so I so this book seemed to be a very we've talked about this, but a very Dungeons and Dragons book, which I haven't played Dungeons and Dragons, but I mean I don't have to play Dungeons and Dragons to enjoy this book, but um, it was just it was just somewhat of a div- different book than I have read before, and I enjoyed it. I. I think I'm not used to the same amount of build-up for a dungeon crawl, essentially. Um, so that was kind of a, sh- a, a difference to me than other things that I have read. But I really, I mean, I enjoyed the cl- climax. And one thing that I was very, that was very um, intriguing to me that I've said on other episodes is just the the like amount of i don't want to say fear but 
something along those lines was very also very new to me and i hadn't had that happen to me in a book before and this book did that very well um i'm thinking of the the scene with the queen and the scene with the duke were very good examples of that but also he did a great job of writing the just describing the horror that like auric feels for example in his nightmares in his in his dungeon crawl from the past and the horror that the characters feel in their trip into the aching gods uh dungeon or whatever we're going to call it and um I don't know. I think that really like took me, took me into the book, which was very, like I was able to really get into it in those circumstances, and I like felt like I was there. So that part was really cool. Um, so I don't know. Overall, I was, I was, I thought that there were some slow parts, but when we got to those scenes, I was like really into the book. So I, I don't know. I, I liked it a pretty good amount. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with a lot of what you said uh as is usual <laughs> i agree it's definitely a slow burn so mm-hmm. uh, most of the book is this build up for them getting to the temple where the aching god is and as it's building to these scenes like you mentioned the scenes of the duke and the scenes of the queen and the scenes with the aching god it can definitely feel slow um but i think in those times we get a lot of character development so yeah it's it's like it's pretty i don't know it's hard to build character when there's fight scenes happening all the time right so i feel like that's where we really got to know Arik and naeus and where we got to love and hate naeus <laughs> in those scenes but i definitely agree that those climactic moments where you're not sure who's going to die really sucked you in to the scene and what was happening. Um, From very early on in this book, I was imagining how cool of a Dungeons and Dragons setting that this world would be even like, so I have played Dungeons and Dragons as long time (laughs) listeners will know. And I just think it's a perfect world that's been created here for a really cool Dungeons and Dragons campaign that you could just plug in any party as a group of Syriac League adventurers and you already have... The, this whole world is built up basically for D&D. Like, you're going into dungeons, you're fighting monsters on the way there, you're getting cool loot, you're fighting these big bosses. It's so cool. Like, it's it's a Dungeons & Dragons world. It's very awesome. And so that was also part of why I enjoyed the book was because not only hearing this story of this event, this party of adventurers, but thinking about what a different party of adventurers would be doing. And those other stories that were going on in the background, I thought that was, I don't know. I had a lot of fun imagining what those kind of adventures would be like. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it as well. We should probably see what we're reading next. Oh yeah. Okay. So next book we're going to read, we're going to go back back to a Brandon Sanderson book. And we're going to go into Warbreaker for the next book that we're going to read. And that's another book that I have read and Dan has not. <laughs> so I'm going to be coming up with just 
crazy theories. I'm going to be making predictions. But most of all, I'm going to be coming up with hot takes. And you guys know that I'm going to be acting like a dumb